Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Let's get into this a little bit here. Um, You are a a consultant for History Channel's Project Blue Book, and the show is an immense hit, and and I really enjoy it. I had to get over the shock of the way they dealt with everything and just accepted uh, good storytelling, right? And you... That's what you've got to do. I mean, um, there's a lot of uh, UFO uh, geeks out there, like we are, but they're kind of the equivalent of the comic book guy on The Simpsons, you know, who, like will critique every little thing that's not right. Like, worst episode ever, you know, those kinds of people who just love to rip on it because it's not exactly true. Right. But it is a television show, and they do fictionalize. And the thing that I learned when I was talking with the team there, and they've got very, very good and dedicated people, I have to say, um, is that, look, when you're doing a TV show, it's the number one thing for them is the storyline. they got to create a story that people are going to like, and then they, they will bring in the relevant UFO information that they can to make it fit. Uh, I can say that they're they're actually into it, and they're dedicated. They're trying to do the best they can. Uh, and, you know, look, there's there's a lot of historical truth that they do include there. There are, there are storylines that are not true, obviously. Uh, you know, elements to it, and that's just how it goes. But, yeah, I actually, I support any any kind of mainstream effort that results in more people becoming interested in the UFO subject I actually have come to feel that that's a good thing. And if it's not exact, then it's up to people like us to to provide the true historical context of these things. Yeah, I, I, I had to tap out right after episode one of the critiquing. You know, I had a long list of things that they got wrong. And I, I got to episode two and I tapped out. I was like, I just need to enjoy this. Just watch it and enjoy it. And it's a lot of fun. You, it, it, it took a lot for me to do the release, but once I did, I, I enjoy the show. Now I look forward to it every week. Yeah, yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I haven't kept up on every single one for season two, but we will catch up. But I definitely uh, like what they've been trying to do overall. Now let's get to uh, let's get to the Robertson panel, and before we yeah. uh, get to the the episode specifically, historically, the Robertson panel. Uh, and I want to start with this very leading question, which is this. The Robertson panel wanted to figure out a way to tap down the hysteria that was going on back then and their approach to that. And it makes me think about today, if disclosure would have happened, I mean, real disclosure with the president on live TV, if that would have happened before the coronavirus I think the world might have reacted the way they're reacting today. I'm not so confident that it would have been smooth sailing. What do you think? Well, I go back and forth. Keep in mind, uh, that was the generation that fought the Second World War. So they had gone through a truly epic, titanic struggle with um, hundreds of thousands of Americans dead and millions of people around the world dead. So, I mean, you can't say they weren't used to trauma. They were definitely used to trauma in a way that uh, our generation, generally speaking, is definitely not. So there's that. Um, but the, the whole thing about trying to contain public opinion, that's, I think, absolutely true. They were trying to do that back in the late 40s, early 50s, for sure. And, you know, I've written a lot about this, and I've been very critical of the secrecy about UFOs that has lasted now 
an entire human lifetime. But it's not that I we can't understand why there would have been some motivations for this. You know, you look at the late 1940s, you've got a, a situation where these objects have come down and your military, the U.S. military, has acquired them. And the real question is, do you tell the world? And there's, you know, a lot of instincts that all of us would have to say, yes, absolutely going to tell the world. But then you'd have all these advisors around you telling you, you've got to think about this, Mr. President, because if you do, then you're going to have to, because it's not just telling the world that this is a real thing. It's, you've got their technology, you've got their bodies, you've got their people. How much do you actually tell? Do you tell the world you've got tech that now you're going to have to eventually share? Once you tell the world that this exists, it's going to be very hard not to be pressured to share it, just like with the atomic bomb, which was a big issue at the time. The U.S. certainly didn't want to share atomic secrets. So there's definitely reasons to have started this secrecy and to have kept it going uh, because it's also a secret that gives you power, right? And and what the U.S. had in the late 40s and through the, well, forever, is very, very intense control over the media. They had it then, and they have it now. It's a very, very tightly controlled system. And I would say it's actually worse now than it was then, because back then there actually were quite a, quite a lot of independently owned newspapers that uh, we're functioning and have big circulation. Uh, today, all of all the mainstream media, is, there's, there's no independently owned mainstream media. Um, and so what you had back in the late 40s, early 50s was uh, an attempt by the, the government to control the narrative as much as possible, but they kept losing that control through the newspaper coverage of this. And so by 1952, when things were really big over Washington, there was lots of sightings there, there were sightings all throughout the year. And it was the last year of Harry Truman's presidency, and this thing came to a head, and that resulted in what became known as the Robertson Panel, which was the beginning of 1953. It was the last weekend of Harry Truman's presidency, and this was a CIA-orchestrated or- panel of very prominent scientists who, frankly, didn't know or care much about UFOs overall, and they convened to put this to sleep much more effectively than ever before, not just for the media, but even for the military itself. The Robertson panel was actually the last bit of house cleaning of the Harry Truman administration because uh, two days after they finished, Dwight Eisenhower was sworn in as president. I think that our community has often scoffed at the idea of economic systems shutting down, religions in chaos, anarchy in the streets with the revelation of, you know, aliens and ET contact and what that would mean globally. And that we just looked forward in time thinking there was nothing that would do that to this planet. And and I look now and that question's been answered. There is something that could globally cause panic and shut this planet down and we're going through it now so the question well, of if this could happen that part has been answered it makes me wonder I, i'm going to i'm going to withhold my conclusion on that because we're only in the beginning stages of this uh you know china's already gone over the hump as it were so is south korea we have just demonstrated with corona with covid that it is possible at least it seems to be. I mean, maybe that's premature, but it does seem possible that we can deal with it. 
we have to be strong and we can get through this. And with something like uh, Alien Revelation, if that were to be announced, um, I don't know that that would have as immediate widespread disruption, frankly, because with something like a, a pandemic, it's literally keeping people home from engaging in the economy. And the question is, would an alien disclosure do that? And, you know, um, when Bryce Abel and I thought about this a decade ago when we wrote AD After Disclosure, mm-hmm. we really, it's hard. It's hard to put yourself in that imaginary position and ask yourself, what would ordinary people do? And I think it's true there would be a lot of initial panic, but ultimately life would not necessarily look all that different for people in the immediate aftermath. So we we felt, at least more or less, that there would be a major uh, blowback, but it wouldn't be all at once, and it wouldn't necessarily be people running around in circles, pulling their hair out of the head in panic, because you can only do that so long, then you've got to get back to work and pay the bills. So corona is actually shutting us down in a way that we only a pandemic really probably could, whereas disclosure would be different. Now, not everyone will behave well with the disclosure, but... I think a lot of people would, and I, I don't actually think it would be as bad. Um, well, I, I there's, I, I think that there's two different types of disclosure. There would be one that would state we have made ET contact and we've got crash retrievals and we are in communication today and we have been in the past. That's one revelation. The other one would be we're not alone in the universe and we know that this particular planet out at Zeta Reticuli is sending us signals and there is alien life out there. So one would cause one reaction and the other would cause a different type of reaction, right? One would be truthful and one would be a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Basically, right? So uh, the thing that I would say with any kind of UFO disclosure is it, it's a, tr- a slippery slope for any government to, to go down that road, which is why I think they obviously haven't done it, because it's really a hard one to manage. When you give a little bit, I used to say, like, how do you become a little bit pregnant and how do you do a little bit disclosure? Uh, if they were to say UFOs appear to be real and appear to be not from our world, then... You know, like we're seeing, we're seeing a quasi attempt at this from uh, a non-official organization like DTSA, but that's not the same as an official statement from a government agency. That's right. So if you have a government agency make that statement, that's a totally different thing. And if they were to do that, then there'd be a thousand follow-up questions right away, and it would be very difficult, I think, for that situation to be contained. And that, that's why it hasn't happened. It's it's a no win for any major government at this time. What, by what, major government, I'm talking U.S. Right. Uh, and its allies and, and and Russia and China probably. Why hasn't there been Richard uh, to this? We close. We've had something similar, but why hasn't there been the real whistleblower, the real cat to come forward and say, okay, this is what's going on. Uh, my honest opinion is that I think you have to look at the secrecy as a series of concentric circles. So, uh, the, and at the center of that circle, the, the 
people who actually are ultra ultra read in these the the type of security that is involved is so pervasive, so intense there is no escaping this. I think every for those people every every word that they utter is probably monitored and recorded, and there is no there's no privacy, there's no secrecy for most of those for any of those people. And I would bet if I had enough money that's worth betting that their families would be at risk and everyone that they love would be at risk. I think it's that intense at that center. You know, it's just like any other uh, person who's got very, very um, sensitive classified information, how that entire system works. Those people don't just go talking because they can't. And you've got a situation where the, the, most critical knowledge of this subject is is governed by very very stringent classified regulations, and on top of that, as we know within the uh, government, as we're learning more and more through any intelligent analysis of the Eric Davis Thomas Wilson document, has shown that the secret has become utterly or or primarily privatized in a lot of the key ways. So you've got a, a very few government gatekeepers, a very few, it looks like a handful, like in the DOD, it could be as few as five people who actually have genuine knowledge of this, and they are the gatekeepers for the major defense contractors that are actually studying this in the most sensitive way. So the secret's privatized. Now, I don't know how, whether it's Lockheed or Boeing or any of these presumed contractors, handle their classified work, except that I have been told that it's every bit, if not more uh, stringent than in uh, the military. So it's very, very, it's really closely governed. And I think that's probably the number one reason. There have been whistleblowers uh, and, and there have been leakers and there have been people with very quiet types of conversations. There's all of that, which has been going on. So, but it's true, like there's not, you know, we don't have uh, a kind of um, Edward Snowden kind of leaker right. for the UFO field. We haven't had that. Let's, uh, uh, let me, let me play devil's advocate before the break. Let's say this, suppose we are alone in the universe, that we are absolutely the only intelligent species in the universe and we are truly alone then where is that whistleblower to come forward and go, hey, we're actually alone. There is nothing. We don't have that either. Well, there were lots and lots of astronomers for uh, almost a century that were just pontificating this exact fact, saying, oh, no, we're completely alone. It's impossible. You know, life on Earth is so unique. It's so uh, specific to life, uh, the situation of Earth, that... You know, it's impossible for life to have formed elsewhere. I mean, that was almost a matter of dogma among astronomers for the longest time until everyone almost overnight realized, oh, no, that can't possibly be true. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.